Hey everyone, this is your host, Alec Mohibian, with just a quick note before we get started. Filthy Armenian Adventures is a travel agency for the soul, which takes you all over the map of our cultural apocalypse and deep into its most forbidden and forgotten territories. And the show is made possible entirely by the rug merchants, cigar singers, and oligarchs of the night who subscribe on Patreon. So if this free episode touches you in any way, please consider putting just a little bit of money where your soul is and becoming a patron, patreon.com slash filthy Armenian. You'll get access to twice as many adventures as the free feed, including the most intimate and scandalous ones. You'll get first dibs on the next live event. The first one was a real smash. And most importantly, you'll get the pride of being a stakeholder in this one-of-a-kind multi-dimensional hunt for truth, gold, and John Galt's motor. Patreon.com slash filthy Armenian. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. You are listening to Filthy Armenian Adventures. People moving out, people moving in. Why? Because of the color of the skin. Run, 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 but you sure can't hide. A great American, in whose symbolic shadow we stand today, announced a dream that would inspire the passage of the Civil Rights Act. That momentous decree came as a great beacon of hope to millions of Americans, seared in the separate but equal flames of segregation, who longed for a colorblind society. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of Jim Crow. But sixty years later, America is no longer blind to color. Sixty years later, America is only blind and deaf and dumb. Sixty years later, America has fibromyalgia. Sixty years later, the life of the high-tea, banter-loving, soulful American of merit 
is sadly crippled by the manacle of disparate outcomes or racism and the chains of hostile workplace environment Title IX and other legislation discrimination enforced under the banner of civil rights. We are sick, a sick, depressed, and anxious people. Our culture has devolved into a cult of mediocrity. Our institutions have eroded from incompetence. Our social relations atrophied into surveillance relations. Our speech with every coworker, coed, lover, friend, micromanaged by the superstitions of race and sex consciousness and the tedious fine print of human resources. But how? How did it get so bad? Where did this virus come from? And why has it spread so completely over private and public life, locking us down, flattening every curve in our culture? In a new book called The Origins of Woke, Richard Hananya provides an answer, a very specific answer, a very Convincing answer. The root is not mystical, according to Brother Hananya. The root is not even cultural. It isn't explained by shifting attitudes and convictions. Wokeness isn't a product of the public's organic will, or consent, or even awareness. It is the result of a great legal and political perversion carried out by spiders weaving behind the scenes to increase their wealth and power, manipulating the loose letters of a celebrated law to undermine the very spirit of that law, systematically exploiting the virtuous intentions of civil rights to socially re-engineer society from the top down, enforcing the atmosphere that has turned so much of America into a dull fuck. The Origins of Woke is a harrowing document, a maddening legal and political expose. But let us not wallow in the Silicon Valley of despair, for this book also offers a path to redemption. For in many ways, Richard Hananya is the millennial Martin Luther King Jr. And like Dr. King, he has a dream that one day his two little children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the content of their identity, but by the color of their character and humor and ability to shitpost. A dream that one day vicious racism is replaced not by vicious anti-racism, but by the casual, funny racism that is its true enemy. The benevolent racism which assumes that every Filipino speaks in the manner of a chainsaw, and that the reason gypsies are so underrepresented in the acting profession is that so few of them grew up with a fourth wall. 
and that you can tell I'm Armenian because I'm 38 years old and my mother still hasn't moved out of the house. And that if I had a dollar for every time someone thought I was Jewish, I would be. Brother Hanania has a dream. He has a dream today. A dream that one day, out in the brown hills of San Francisco, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will sit down together, not merely as brothers, but as fellow N-words and C-words, as loving S-words and C-H-words. He has a dream. He has a dream that even the American workplace sweltering in the heat of sexual harassment and insensitivity fear will be transformed into an oasis of camaraderie and courtship as befits the great American symbol of the water cooler. A dream that flirtation and hanky-panky will flourish not just in our nation's dark rooms but in her boardrooms making businesses happier and more productive than ever before. A dream that diversity, equity, and inclusion will cease to corrupt public and private institutions and return to its proper place as the three keys to a successful marriage. He has a dream that even if the college campus is lost forever to the rule of censorship, indoctrination and sex policing, capitalism will open up new spaces for the young to explore and experiment and, yes, err, and study freely the difficult questions of our time, such as crime statistics adjusted per capita. This is Brother Hanania's dream. And as a fellow AOW, you don't know what that means yet, but you'll find out. I have a similar dream, a conjoined dream, that one day every valley of made-up mental illness will be engulfed, every face unblurred, every social distance closed, every safe space invaded, and every sensitivity battle-tested and bullied into strength. Mediocrity shall be made low, incompetence made straight, ambition extolled, service at restaurants rehumanized, and atomized adherence to the common good appended. The glory of the eccentric individual shall be revealed, and all flesh once again exposed. With this dream, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to learn together, to grab each other's asses and make racist jokes together, to read and worship Shakespeare together, to troll about euthanasia together, to pretend we love jazz together, to laugh and sing and dance together, knowing that with all its bumps and bruises, all its aggressions macro and micro, only freedom can make us great. With this dream and the political blueprint provided by prominent skinny intellectual Richard Hanania, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of life, liberty, 
the pursuit of happiness. Amen, Anya. Okay. No pressure. Wait, I'll cut, I'll cut it. When when did you last smoke? Like, uh, did you have like a friend, friend or someone? Yeah, years and years and years. Maybe five, six, six. It took me a while. I like cigars. I like cigarettes. I like them when I was a kid. Oh yeah. Yeah. We they had the ones. I don't know. They they used to with the plastic with the plastic uh, sort of uh, where you put your mouth on. Mm -hmm. And you know you used to be able to take out. The tobacco with a uh, with a tweezer, and then put weed in there. Oh yeah, you do the blunt stuff. Yeah, yeah, you would. And more of a light. I think it's oh, okay, metal. yeah. It sometimes it takes a minute. There we go. I see you getting orange now. That should work. Yeah, you got it. Um, congrats on the book. I finished you. reading yesterday. Uh -huh. uh, it's a substantial work, um, and. Clearly, and I want to start with the book, and then we can work into the more like I'd like to talk about your background too, because it's very interesting how you came to be who you are today. Sure, um, you know, it'd be fun. Sure, yeah, good. whatever you want. Yeah, so I'll start with the book, which is we're recording. Are we recording it, already? The recording has started. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, the cigar blowing stuff is on there. All so right, the whole conversation about blunts and stuff. Uh, that's on there too. Yeah, we can take it out if you no, want. No, wait, that's who gives a fuck. Okay, yeah, you know, it's like what. Who's who's to you know, who's who's, who's, who's going to come after me? Who's going to come after you for that? <laughs> yeah. At this point, you feel you must be kind of checking out hummingbird right there. Oh, there it is. Isn't yeah. that beautiful? Yeah, I love hummingbirds. Oh, I should sit here more. I should sit out here more often. You really should. It's there's a, a uh, there's a documentary on Netflix Prime mm -hmm. about just the hummingbirds. Like they're just like uh, physiologically, like they're uh, like mechanically, they're just amazing, amazing creatures. They can hover. They can move in any direction. Uh, their their hearts beat like some ridiculous thing like 400 times a minute or something like that they are really adorable creatures yeah, my amazing. my grandmother used to have a I don't know what they call it, a thing that like a tra specifically a water or something that would oh yeah we had one of those yeah they would yeah they'd come in it's like sugar it's like nectar and they'd yeah. come in and they'd drink, they'd drink they'd it they'd drink it yeah and just you know it was a place where you could easily watch from the patio yeah, they're very, they're um, graceful, little excited, you know, yeah. like, they're like, they're like, they're like what 
they're, they're like the ultimate form of a twi- like when I think of the word Twitter, you think of that little bird going yeah, right in a cute way. Um, it looks like a little seal almost. Yeah, they ch- they chirp like sort of. They sound like crickets. Yeah. So when I think of Twitter. I, I mean, I think of like something small that's got like a high pitched voice, but that's that's not them. I'm a bird guy. I used to like I used to go around and just look for birds and had this nice camera that like 80 times and you would just get like these really close ups of like hawks and uh, you know hummingbirds, just everything, woodpeckers, everything cool around here. There was an interesting bird that flew like swooped right over my car on my way here, pretty close to here. I, it was a, definitely some kind of an interesting bird. I don't know what it was. It could have been. Yeah. I don't know what there. Are, I feel like there are birds around in the San Gabriel Valley that are interesting that bird watchers yeah a target i'm not an expert but there was something interesting that swooped right over me in a foreboding way um yeah I don't, yeah no this is a very nice little backyard and nice spot i don't come out here very often uh, unless i'm on on the way to the rose bowl mm. um so you must be free you must feel pretty free though because we could start with this and move into the book, but you did, you did like, I think you're the first person who deftly avoided or defeated a, a, like a, you know, big label cancellation attempt uh, without a hiccup. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I was lucky. I didn't have any institutions. You know, I wrote about this. I wrote a Substack on this. Yeah, I, re- I read it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was not, and a thing I think I didn't mention as much was I didn't, I wasn't connected to any institutions, right? Like, people talk about Nate Hockman recently. Uh, he was in the DeSantis campaign. You know, I wasn't working for a political campaign. It could have been a different story if it was like that. Um, but, you know, I set up my life, like, knowing that, you know, I wanted to be free and I wanted to be not subject to these things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a new sort of, it's a new sort of intellectual landscape. It's a new political economy of opinion world, right? Like, I mean, look at BAP. I mean, look at, like, you look at him, he's, he's racial slurs. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's like, you can, you can say anything. Now. You have <laughs> a cute people... rivalry with him, too, I think, like, online. There's a little bit of a, there's something of a... A cute rivalry. There's a cute rivalry, yeah, that I yeah. detect. I know it gets, I know it can get saucy at times, but yeah. in the big picture, it's cute, I mean. I mean, I know I mocked him once or twice. He attacked me. I, I don't even know why he attacked me. He attacked me once. Um, uh, this Washington Post had a sympathetic portrayal of him, and he said something like, you are a, uh, you're a Coke something. I don't know. Something yeah, he, he, he's, he's attacked you as like being a, a kind of a, well, a face fag, as he calls it, where he, he had a problem with uh, anyone who kind of showed face and name because he didn't until just recently. But I think that, so. He, he actually didn't like anyone who showed face. He name? just had he he. There was this. Is this a complicated thing that like goes deep into the I think the psyche of BAP world? But there yeah. was a he had a he was big about being anonymous up until just very recently, yeah. and I think that created all these resentments or you know kind of necessary needs to shit yeah. on anyone who wasn't anonymous. I mean, he wasn't really even anonymous. I mean, it was all open online who he was for the, you know, I think years and years ago. I mean, it wasn't some big secret. Right. For, so. It felt, it felt like it was, t- it felt like it, that, that, that was kind of yeah. a And he's got, it. I mean, thing. even if it, even if it hadn't come out, I think for, I think you've got to, you know, you're, you know, it's like your, your influence is limited as an anonymous person. People it want is. to know there's a story there. And then if you get big enough, it's going to come out. Anyway, right. so yeah. it's like it's a catch twenty two. You can't you can be a nobody and be anonymous, and if you want to be somebody, you're gonna to have to be yourself, or it's gonna come out whether you want it or not. Yeah, 
I think he's also just, it's just much, ever since he went on Red Scare, he's been now basically, you know, now that he started posting under his normal name, and I think it's kind of really taken the, uh, I think it's really taken, like, the anxiety layers off of the whole, the whole thing, and it's made a big difference, and everything's yeah. much better now. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm excited about the, the way in which there seems to be a new sense of freedom all, all around. You, do, you don't have institutional backing, do you? Or because do, do you have like institutions on your byline? But what's the scenario? No, they're, right they're, they're out. They're over now. So I had Columbia. I had uh, University of Texas. Um, but no, I don't have anything. It's just basic. It's me. It's my think tank. Um, and it's my personality out there. And your personality is quite... Um, is quite pronounced and, and you've really <laughs> yeah. like you know you cut I mean, before this book for like at least for a year maybe longer you've really been kind of you've been setting off firecrackers on twitter you're a very you're a first class shit poster and troll um and you kind of troll both sides you, you have a tendency now yeah which is what i think i think the um part of the bap rivalry is probably that the fact that you tend to set off right-wing anons yeah i don't know rivalry yeah rivalry is too strong no, no I, I know what you're i know what you're saying yeah i mean the right i mean like the right-wing twitter is really it's really dumb i mean it is like it's like oh wokeness is bad and feminism is wrong and uh you know there's race differences but like they accept all kinds of retarded things like on top of that it doesn't mean that like everything that like the establishment says is wrong or like everything online people are saying is correct and I end up seeing a lot of these people because they find their way to me based on, uh, you know, some of the, you know, some of the politically incorrect things on race and other topics. Mm -hmm. And then it ends up like I just see them all the time and I end up getting annoyed and I just feel like necessary to like, you know, say like this is stupid or to mock them. You know, the only thing to me is that because I think that there's like certain predictable counter retardations that are going to happen every time an establishment the orthodox retardation is forced upon the public which is what happened with vaccines which is what happened with basically anything to do with diverse anything to do with um you know quote unquote globo homo type of yeah. diktats there's going to therefore be like such a level of resentment that won't allow for any kind of common ground. I mean, the vaccine thing is the perfect example because I was, it was instantly obvious to me that when they started enforcing, uh, mandating vaccines and in the kind of, you know, same pig-headed way they mandated masks and mandated everything else the last several years, there was going to be a permanent anti-vaccine movement that was going to, would otherwise just be confined to Jenna McCartney. Yeah. And now is like the, the main identity of too many people. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's sort of inevitable that yeah. this is going to happen. But yeah, that's uh, there's part of that. But also, I mean, people don't need an excuse to be retarded, right? I, I, you know, a lot of uh, like the stuff I think is just natural sort of level of retardation from like, you know, it's uh, Yarvin's thing about the, uh, what was it, the, the elves and the... the elves and the hobbits? Or yeah, it's like a lot of these people are just naturally, uh, which one is the, the lower class? The hobbits, right? Uh, hobbits, yes. yeah, I think the elves are the Yeah, and so a lot of the stuff ones. is like, you know, like I had a big thing on like anti-surrogacy, like, you know, I, I, I'm very pro-surrogacy. I mean, I think we have so much dysgenics in our society, like the few things where smart people are able to have more kids, like these people are against it, oh, because it's not natural. I don't think it's like a 
backlash to anything. I, I didn't see like the media being, oh, surrogacy is the greatest thing in the world. They right. Never, they never talk about it. It's just a like a dumb right wing sort of reactionary thing. And so a lot of these things are just, I think, like that. I'm pushing back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you know, it's fun to. My my feeling is like, you know, when people are. I mean, they deserve it on the one hand, but on the other hand, there's, this is like, this is such a powerless out, this is an outlet for such powerless people, you know, yeah. and they're online that I, that I feel like, you know, there's a, there's a question of, are we, are you but, punching down? But sometimes, you know what, but sometimes they're more normie than the normies, right? So like on, uh, like, uh, going back to the, um, surrogacy thing or like on euthanasia, they are very leaning into very normie arguments. Like you shouldn't commoditize, you're taking advantage of women. Oh, it's rich people, like, you know, yeah, renting the wombs of poor people. So it's like a very sort of, you know, they're, they're, they're actually, they're not powerful themselves, but they're reflecting power. They're reflecting arguments that like liberal left-wing socialists would make. And they're like taking them further. Like, oh, liberals believe in too much choice. Right, too much right. freedom. Right. Oh, you can you can kill yourself if you want to. Right. You know, and like that. You know, that's like there's like a left right right like sort of come together, like the hobbits of the right and the hobbits of the left, and they think they're fighting the left, but really they're like to the left of the left. Right. Yeah, when their own when the, it's sort of like outcome based for them, they see a certain thing that they don't want, which is more, you know, more immigrants, and that kind of does, doesn't matter how how we how we get there. Um, they're going to be opposed to immigration on principle yeah. and not so much based on whether, you know, it kind of just takes on a life of its own, I feel, with these issues. But you make a good case in The Origins of Woke how basically this entire quagmire of discourse and of um, really, really like national division can be traced unquestionably to the catastrophe of civil rights law yeah. and the Civil Rights Act of 1964, 1965, 1991, and all the various uh, title, you know, amendments to them. Um, that's really what the book is about. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there you talk about backlash theory. I mean, I think that the stuff you have to put up with on race and sex is you know, it's pretty, like, in front of the line as far as, like, absurdities that people have to deal with. Everyone knows in any corporate setting that you check a box, you know, to be white, you know, that you're white, that you're male, and that it hurts you. And you just have these, like, sort of rabid, you know, what they call anti-racism, um, which is just, you know, affirmative action, special privileges for blacks while practicing racism. And, you know, same you could say the same thing about sex. And, you know, absolutely, it drives people, it drives people crazy. And the, uh, and the, you know, the turn away from the Democratic Party came with civil rights, came in the 1960s. And, you know, probably like gender, other things too. But not, even that stuff is not, the, is not the big thing because, you know, the liberals have had, uh, you know, pretty decent, you know, root in public opinion on a lot of these, you know, sexual freedom issues. Nobody wants to go back to, you know, all women like having to be virgins when they marry. I mean, that's not something that like most Americans support. Uh, so yeah, it's really the race and the identity issues that turn people against the elites and sort of created our modern divisions. But which is always depicted now as a racial backlash. It's always depicted as if anything that's anything that has ever been opposed to the civil rights law has always been at a cleverly and successfully depicted as a ra as racism. And I think this is like one of the big boogeymen of society, which is like, including the personalities. I mean, I remember William F. Buckley apologizing in the later age for having opposed the Civil Rights Act. Mm. Barry Goldwater is always, always depicted as like leading the John Birch 
you know, thing, race. It's always depicted as though there was this neo-Confederate, any opposition to civil rights law was like this neo-Confederate movement. Yeah. And it seems like that's the monster to be defeated, which is how do you, how do you, uh, which is obviously something you're doing in this book and something that's complicated always anytime somebody reveals your private shit post from the year 28, you know, 12 years ago when you're just kind of shooting your mouth mm. um, uh, under a pseudonym. Yeah. But like, how do you reverse this deeply entrenched propaganda about how any single opposition to this absolutely unlimited form of torture that is civil rights law uh, is racist. I don't think you have to consider that issue in isolation anymore. Uh, you know, I get into it in the book that basically you are seeing like, you know, divisions between the two major tribes in this country and they just have completely different realities on a hundred different issues. And civil rights, affirmative action, DEI, I mean, all this stuff under this umbrella, it's just part of that, right? Um, and so, like, it's actually, it's a pretty boring thing and like, you don't need to win over anyone, all you need is, on civil rights, you know, but other issues, you, all you need is Republicans to win elections, and I think it's a pretty easy to sell for them to do the things that I want them to do. Um, you saw with the SFFA v. Harvard case, I, you know, I think these other things, it's just about bringing it to people's attention. And the left can push back, but um, public opinion is not on their side, and so even when their public opinion is on their side, they can't always get what they want if they're out of power. Uh, so it's actually, it's, it's a pretty, at this point, you know, I have an entire chapter on Republicans and civil rights law and why now is the time to act. It's actually a very simple, it's become a very simple issue. It's become simplified because there's just two big tribes, they hate each other, and, you know, whichever side is in power does what they want right now. Um, you know, depending. They're limited if, like, the public is really against them or there's divisions within the right. camp or whatever. But on this issue where conservatives are united, um, when they have power, I think they'll do good things. It's just about guiding them. It's, well, it also seems like, you know, a lot of, I was trying to think of the big picture kind of um, storylines that come out of reading your book and, and how it, we went from, everyone thought at the time in 64, 65, that this was going to be a, this was a rollback on Jim Crow, this was going to, you know, defang the last remnants of kind of like government enforced segregation in the South, not 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 accidental, no. you know, di in, not accidental outcome segregation, but literal government required no. segregation. That was what, that was what infused so many people to come together in the co civil rights coalition, and that almost immediately succeeded, overnight, and then almost immediately became completely obsolete, and replaced by something completely different, which yeah. has governed us to this day and ruined the country. Yeah, I mean, the civil rights movement was sort of this, yeah, this train that was uh, too, um, it, was, it had built up too much momentum to sort of stop after the 1964 act, right? Uh, and so immediately, like, these, you know, and, like, it doesn't change overnight, and in many ways it never changes, where, like, you have, you know, perfect representation, which was sort of the dream of, like, what would happen. Blacks would be, you know, only 12% of criminals and 12% of, you know, scientists and engineers and everything 12 else. 12% of MBA. Everything, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd be, yeah, I'd be, yeah. And so, like, that that didn't happen overnight and, you know, hasn't happened to this day. And they got really excited about, you know, quotas. They got really excited about equal representation. This is almost not even a, um American thing. It's a common thing in multiracial societies at this point. Um, 
and you know you had to build up lie on top of lie because you know you had to say the tests were racist and you had to say that you know this was this was racist you had to say the you know the school system was like discriminating against certain groups even though we poured you know we 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 tried like forced integration we tried pouring all this money into the black ghettos uh we tried you know race specific policies and it just never worked right and it just became like this thing where it's like you know i think they've lost sort of the optimism like they don't seem to believe they don't seem to believe liberals don't seem to believe in like 20 years we're going to have racial equality or 30 years or 40 years like that, that seems to be completely gone um and yeah there's all this is is this like pessimistic you know they're struggling against this white supremacist juggernaut uh that's always there and like always going to be there and all they can do is keep pushing right it's a it's a very funny place we've sort of gotten to uh, yeah, it's well. It's funny when it's not just like completely maddening because of how impossible it's become even to have an argument. You know, yeah. It doesn't seem like arguments are to be. I mean, that's why your book is almost you explicitly say multiple times. This is basically I'm writing this for Republicans yeah. to light a fire under their ass to say that all you need to do is convince enough Republicans um, when they're in power to yeah. push hard on this particular on this kind of like undoing the spider web yeah. legally. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, like, liberal. I mean, there are liberals who, like, get it that, like, wokeness is crazy, even liberals who understand, you know, racial differences well. You know, but they've made a compromise because, they, you know, they know that they'll be yelled at by their side, that there's always, like, a writer at every publication or somebody in every organization who will just cancel anyone for a wrong thing. Uh, so some liberals, you know, are sensible, and maybe those ones just be quiet when, like, Republicans, you know, uh, do the thing, you know, do the, uh, you know, enact their policies that rolls back civil rights law. Um, but, yeah, there's no hope of convincing the left. It's become such an identity-focused movement. It's become so like emotional like you know you, you will have like you know these affirmative action uh writers at like the new york times or the atlantic who will you know will try to destroy any of their colleagues uh who take a dissenting view um and so that's the state of the left now it's like you know it's like make you know make republicans like atheists or something it's like it's like not <laughs> yeah. it's really not on the table right and so you know this is i mean it's, a, it's, a, it's an optimistic story i think like i think once you do roll back civil rights law like you change the country and like you know, nobody's going to have the momentum to go back to where we were before because this stuff was sort of done under the table, sort of sneakily, and like with the momentum of the civil rights movement behind it. I think we can get, you know, I think we can get past this stuff. We just have to sort of, you just have to move, and you have to, uh, you have to push back on it, and you have to actually act when you're you're in power. But you know, I'm, I'm optimistic we can get there. There are two things that come out um, very, uh, like, in a very pronounced way to me reading the history of how this all happened. One of them is, is as you as you described, this all happened under the table um, for decades and before it became like memed into popularity among, among certain people of questionable gender identity and questionable intellect in the last 10 years. Before that, it was all just by happening but lawyers, bureaucrats, mm. human resources people, and academics behind the scenes within the massive, legally feeble uh, loopholes that were available under this, you know, yeah. just as like unlimited, this laws, these laws that, that basically uh, permitted unlimited government. government. Yeah. It's a very Ayn Rand villain format of perse persecuting, the, of persecuting the nation and of like locking people down without e anyone even knowing where this shit comes from. Yeah. I mean, because there's just no, it, it all, all it does is trace to certain ideas about about racial equality and then it's kind of just you're not supposed to ask any further questions yeah
it was not an ideological movement, basically, is what yeah. you're saying, like, uh, that, that, had, that had mass support at any point. It was sort of, I mean, it was ideological in the sense that uh, I'm mad because whites have all the money and the jobs and therefore, or it's in the sense that, like, if, the white, if you're white, like, you're playing to that, that instincts or just, like, feeling some kind of guilt or wanting to feel like a good person. But, yeah, I downplay ideology and you're right it was mostly done under the table these weren't like like if you're living in the early in the late in america in the late 1960s like uh mid 19s early mid 1970s you're not like seeing these like as major events covered in the news right it's basically gets no news coverage it's you know it's the griggs decision um on disparate impact there's the philadelphia plan the affirmative action for contractors just like very just like a very small issue there was a it did come up the i mean i tell the story the affirmative action for contractors or did come up for a vote um during the nixon administration so there was that but mostly this stuff was just sort of under the radar and then you know you see it you see that you can trace it you can trace the hysteria the p uh the hr hysteria uh in uh corporate america right which comes after these legal decisions on harassment law and of course after disparate impact and all that uh so you know i think i tell a very uh I think that's a very good, like, just, like, chronological story, which, like, fits together about how we got here. Right. And the, chronolo- the main plot points are disparate impact, the phrase disparate impact, which, uh-huh. meant, which meant that instead of basically any, dis- any, any outcome that was racially dis- uh, disparate was proof. I don't know what the legal prima facie. Presumption. There's a presumption, yeah. Presu- yeah, presumption that it's, that it's proof of discrimination, yeah. not not because there was actually discriminatory practices, but just because the outcome was racially yeah. imbalanced. And that kind of just opened the door for everything. Yeah. And what, there was the other, another big factor, too, I think. Um, yeah, contracting for affirmative action for all government contractors, which ended up swallowing up a lot of the private sector. Um, and then on speech, you have harassment law, which said, you know, you can't make women and minorities uncomfortable or they can, you know, sue you and take right. all your money. And uncomfortable is an unli- has no defin- definition uh, no, to it. No, it's like they try to define it. They say severe and pervasive, you know, whatever. That can mean, that can mean a lot of things. Um, well, it could mean wrong pronouns now, so literally. It, yeah, so that's I mean, what it became it, to it me. It expands. Yeah, it expands. Like, yeah, exactly. So it expands. Like, even wanting, you know, the Bostock decision was the latest of these, you know, something the conservative Supreme Court actually did. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you have Title IX, which, like, uh, you know, very heavy hammer coming down on the universities. Um, and, you know, like sports and, you know, regulating people's sex lives. And so, yeah, you have these just sort of these ideas. Like, there is, a, like, there is like causation in the world. Like, there's not just what you see online. It's like, you know, I think just people like read what they see online and they think that's like all there is to the world or they think there's like some conspiracy or Klaus Schwab is is doing it or there's some crazy something like that. But that sometimes it's just boring legal right. stuff and laws that led to the things you see. Yeah, that's a yeah. So you, the, I think there's a strong tendency, especially among people so-called post left dirtbag left, especially among in the in the idea that this is all like woke capitalism or that this is like corporations doing it for profit there's been this idea becoming popular specifically on the internet that all this woke shit is like capitalism and that has always been a complete cop-out to me because it's obvious that this is not create this is not increasing the profit profits of anyone yeah it's not like none of it has to do with um i mean I'm, I'm confusing the, the case here a little bit because it, it, what it, it is ideological, but it's ideological in a very shallow, uh, herd-like, conformist way that yeah. has been kind of inflamed by social media. Yeah. Um, 
of everyone's in a race to to appear to be the good guy, like good. It's this like entire virtuocracy that that where the competition is not to make money or provide the best product or be like be the best, have the the greatest merit, but to just appear to be good, yeah. gooder than the other goods, yeah, and have and like have that on your fucking masthead or on your right. Yeah, and that's, you know, and like, you know, that could be defensive too. Like, if the government's going to come after you, you have to have the right, you know, racial demographics and you can't have lawsuits and you can't have people coming after you, right? And so, yeah, I mean, it is like it's trite that businesses act in their interests. And yeah, I mean, you should change their interests. It's not like generalized, like capitalism, right? That's just like, that's stupid. It's capitalism given the constraints of the American system, which includes civil rights law. Like, yeah. then, of course, it's in their interest, and they're going to do what's in their interest. Well, there's a giant gun pointing at all of their heads, and it's the, the gun comes from Washington, and it comes, comes with the, the civil rights yeah, regime. And the, and the media, you know, which and becomes powerful from it. And, you know, the media can have the data based on, because it's branded to be collected for the government, and so the media can point to something, and then they can sue, you know, uh, lawyers can go and sue them. So it's a very, you know, it's a vicious cycle, but the law underpins it all. The law underpins it all. Um, it's a white, in a way, it's a white pill. It actually. is. It is. I'm a, I'm a white pill guy. You're a white pill guy. That's one of the things that makes you. No, that's I think one of your the most appealing things about like your persona online is that yeah. you're like, let's not let's not all like let's not all get into this end of civilization spiral yeah. here. Let's not yeah. all slit our wrists uh, endlessly. Um, there is actually we can act you know this this got here through a set of observable reasons yeah it's not all occult mystical voodoo yeah and it can be reversed through those same yeah methods and you got to be self-critical of your side too in order to do that too you, you know you, you gotta you better yourself through self-criticism so yeah i mean i'm just you know i'm not i'm not it's not just on this that i'm a white pill guy it's like i don't think i don't think this shit is the end of civilization mm-hmm. if nothing happens on civil rights law i think it'll suck and the country will be worse off. Um, but, you know, technological change and growth will still happen. Um, and they'll still be, it'll still be good to live in America compared to other countries. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm a white pill guy in that sense, too. I think people shouldn't be so, you know, so negative as a general matter. How did you arrive? I mean, you, you, we kind of share a similar off-white uh, background in that I'm Armenian. You're Palestinian Christian, mm. and I'm assuming that your consciousness growing up. Where did you grow up? First of all, I'm, right like, outside Chicago. Chicago. So, how did you feel in relation to these racial, like the racial uh, divides or conversations growing up? Because we're the same age, I think, pretty close. Yeah, I never. I mean, it never mattered that much to me. It sounds like you know, that sounds like maybe not very credible because like I you know I'm sort of obsessed with race now, but like it's just an interesting topic and like I'm interested in a lot of things like I never like I had you know like you know insecurities and stuff but it was never because I'm different racially right I it just it just never sort of registered that that was like a big deal and I think most people are like that like even whether they're you know happy people and well-adjusted they're secure or they're insecure even the people who are insecure I don't think they're insecure mostly about race you know maybe because i look close enough i'm off white i mean there was you know there was italians and 
you know, all the Mexicans and all these sort of semi-white people growing up among lower classes. They don't think about they think about it. They think about it a lot, but they also don't think about it. It's like you know, they all they make you know they call each other beaners and uh, rabs and stuff like that. I mean, we called we threw the word N word around a lot when I was growing up we in did LA. Too. Yeah, we did. We did too in Chicago. Not, yeah, it, it, not it was the black people. Thing. They weren't allowed. They weren't around. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. didn't. Well, no, in my well, where I was, yeah. I was mainly Latinos saying it to black people and black people saying it to black people and, yeah. and it was just all around i mean rap was the thing and, and yeah. like in middle school it was a very common thing yeah. to, to, to well, say chicago and in, in my day and still today is like extremely segregated um and so there weren't any other yeah, there weren't any uh, black kids there were maybe a handful yeah. um in yeah it's my different because here there was busing and i went to public school so my a third of my school was black a third was latino yeah. and i was going to school in the west side paul revere pally so a third was white and of the white that's a lot of Persian so and Jew. So it was like 19, late 1990s? They yeah. were still doing busing? There's, I think they're still doing it to this day, uh, from, uh, from what I understand. Yeah, there's a, there was a Supreme Court case, um, which I think they, I, I don't know. Oh, did it guess. stop? Okay, well. Uh, there was a Seattle case in the early 2000s, yeah. But interesting. I, but I thought it was like, yeah, I thought it was on its way out, and I, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought they Hardcore, still did. at least through 2003, <laughs> uh, I could tell you when I graduated high school. So, uh, uh, and, and my middle school and high school were entirely, were I guess, uh, you know, two-thirds bust in. Really? Yeah. Okay. But it was made for a very interesting racial education where I'm not, you know, I became aware of affirm, affirmative action was the first issue that inflamed me to like write about like in 10th grade because it just seemed so ridiculous. Um, and at the time, we were only a few years removed from the 1996 amendment, the Ward Connolly thing, mm-hmm. which in which affirmative action was banned in California. And it was a very popular thing. Grew up in the uh, OJ trial. Um, the the world of the OJ trial, where yeah. I, which I believe kind of solved racism for a while mm. until Obama brought mm. it back, uh, and I have a theory as to why that is. But that that was like there was a sense if you watched I don't know if you watched the movie Barbershop, but there was a speech by Cedric the Entertainer in Barbershop where he said that OJ did it and uh, went off on Jesse Jackson, and I think there was a sense after the OJ trial that yeah, obviously this was a social justice verdict, not a justice verdict. Yeah. And I think black people knew it. Yeah. Hey, there was no denial, yeah. which is the big key. And then the second key was that they kind of felt icky about it. Yeah. They're like, okay, yeah, but now what? What's the big, well, what did we gain from this? Yeah. And of course, white people knew that it was fake. So there was a kind of, there was a big chill on the racism industry following the OJ trial all the way until Obama's second term brought it roaring back by just basically reinstigating it with these yeah. uh, fake police brutality storylines. Yeah. yeah, the Supreme, uh, I mean, the uh, 9-11, I think, was a big one because at the time it was like everyone was sort of, there was this right-wing, like a right-wing kind of cancel culture yeah. where you had to support the wars. Like everyone had to be patriotic and nothing could divide us, right? So that also like sort of pushed it back. You're right. I don't know if it was the Obama administration that brought it back. I think it was more sort of the internet probably. The big, um, big Social factor. media. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. So I mean, it just shows sort of historically. Anyways, the the two that was 2007. The Supreme Court ruled five to four that they couldn't use racial balancing for busing anymore. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, it's a recent. I mean, I think. It was I wonder if California has found a way out, uh, around they, it. They, they, they always do. They might have, but I, you know, I haven't heard about it in a while. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it was sort of on its. I think it was on the way on a decline anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, example right there of things getting better. Right. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that just shows you, you know, like things can, you know, things can change. And so much of the, you know, it's politics. It is just high level, boring, you know, who is on the Supreme Court, who's going to rule this way, who's going to rule that, um, where the money's going to go based on, you know, Congress and the executive branch. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I have a political science background and, you know, I think politics matters. I like people who do cultural stuff, but it's, it's not everything. There's also a, uh, you know, there's also like politics has a huge role to play. That's like the main theme of the book. Right. Yeah. Um, it's too bad that Chicago is so segregated because I just have a feeling that you would have succeeded very well with like black women. I don't know what it is, but I just have a feeling. Well, I have I had I did have. <laughs> I love that. I love that you say that. Uh, I I worked at like this telemarketing job, uh-huh. uh, which was probably majority black, almost majority. And yeah, I mean the black women. Yeah, they did. They did. They did like me. They yeah. liked you, right? Yeah, they I liked just, me. I knew it. <laughs> I just had a feeling. I was at a Costco once, and I was in this line. Uh, this was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It was maybe in my mid-20s. And, uh, you know, like the black woman's working at the other register down. He's like, boy, you fine. Like this big black woman. You like one of them statues. I think she's talking about, like, ancient Rome. She's like, yeah, you yeah, like yeah. one of the statues. She's right. She's, yeah. yeah, she's, uh, and I was like, oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, you see, they get it. They, they get it. They, they get, get it. They, yeah, they're very, uh, uh, they're very they're very forward too oh definitely yeah which is a refreshing thing in our day and age which is so sexless and so like <laughs> uh, everything is so sanitized yeah. it's you know sure. what's I used, to, I used to go to this Popeye's chicken um, and it was all these uh, black people who were working there right and the woman you know the woman uh, know me there and she comes and she's like you know she's like flirting with me a little bit she's an older woman she's yeah. like you know 50 or 60 or something and she's like oh hey how you doing again and the other black woman in the back is like oh stop it you too old for him <laughs> <laughs> what's she doing <laughs> <laughs> was she? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think she a was a little bit. Well, you know, I, yeah, it's. I like. I like that. You know, I've. I've had. I've. Um, I love the. I, I, have you been to Wiener Circle, by the way, in Chicago? No, what's that? Oh, damn! You would have cleaned up. There was okay. There's a. It's still there. I don't know if it's the same vibes. There's a hot dog stand. It's like in the north side. You know, pretty centrally located, called mm. Wiener Circle, where I think they've cleaned this up but when i went in 2000 as recently as 2011 the thing is you go in there it's all black yeah. workers it's hot dogs they're good hot dogs whatever but the yeah. point is that they you sc- they scream slurs and insults at you and you scream slurs and insults at them and when i went in there like 2011 or so one night with there was like prom night so a bunch of prom white prom kids came in and it was just and, like this is not that long ago they were screaming like you're a fat n-word this and that at the people and they were and they were screaming back insulting them in the most in the greatest possible wait, way wait, and who are these these are black workers what black they workers doing? they're workers and it's a circle it's and it's not even a circle no it's just like a it's like a fast food just a counter and you're in line and, and you're up. and you're and you yeah you're like hey you dumb fucking get me a fucking hot dog you piece blah, blah, blah. like all this like it's like a it's a complete verbal battlefield it can't be nearly as good now because of all the bullshit. It, it's impossible. I think they've become woke. I mean, it's kind of because I, I think there's like a podcast studio now attached to it, which suck, which really takes us really like you know, yeah, is a boner kill. But it was that that was why you would go there is to scream and to hear other people scream. I mean, if you were like super, you know, yeah. if you were you, they would have probably just hit on you. Mm-hmm. But they would he would she would have said something like she would have probably like speculated upon your penis and yeah. you know they, they it would be super raunchy super and this is just right in the middle of Chicago and everyone so do, lives do, it. Do, do people like do any people go there like not knowing what the place is I'm sure just getting inside oh I'm that. sure but you find out right away you find out right away because it's just like boom that's uh, hilarious yeah no how do I I don't know how I lived in Chicago and never 
Never heard I of can't this believe, thing. yeah, it's too bad. It, and that's, it might be too late. I'm still there, but I mean, uh, I don't think it's going to be the same. Okay. The same wonderful. It sounds like a blast. Free speech zone that it once was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds like that sounds, there must be some. Somebody must have written about it somewhere. Oh, it's been written about a bunch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll find it all all over. But I, I just when I looked it up last time I was in Chicago, which was recently, I I I I didn't go, but I I saw enough to be like, yeah, this is probably not this. This has probably been complete. You know, 2015 has changed this place. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, because it was like where everyone, like, we're not talking about, we're not talking about uh, right-wing anons. We're talking about yeah. just everyone, <laughs> everyone's yeah. going, you know, specifically high school kids. Amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, for um, maybe it'll come back one day. But yeah. And you also worked for McDonald's, right? You famously yeah. said you worked for McDonald's. That's <laughs> yeah. funny when people remember I tweet so much. You tweet a lot of, int- well, that's the thing. You tweet a lot of things out of left field and that's what makes your, you know, yeah. you're not, you're not like a typical policy wonk even though that's your background. Yeah. I, yeah, I worked at McDonald's. I worked at, like, there's a place called Brown's Chicken we had in Chicago. I don't know if we have it out here. Uh, I don't think so. I worked at a place called, uh, you know, I worked at, like, a, a pizza restaurant. I sucked at it, by the way. I was, like, the worst. You mentioned that. Yeah, I was the worst. Uh, I can't do, like, manual labor. Like, Is it because your mind just races too much? I think, to... I think so. I, you know, I, I forget, like... Yeah, it's like I can't move fast and do menial tasks over. You're thinking of euthanasia statistics too often. I'm too smart, yes. I'm too smart for this, yeah. Uh, I could do, I I was a waiter at like Red Lobster for a while. I could do that. That's easier than the kitchen because it's dealing with people and it's Mm. sort of, you know, a little bit more stimulating. But yeah, I couldn't couldn't do a lot of, I don't think I could even do normal white collar jobs, you know. I think I need something that just interests me. Right. I'm not going to do it. You're just bored beyond just. Yeah, I wouldn't be like be a, a lawyer at a big law firm. Like I don't think I don't think I could do that either. Yeah, I'm the same same way in that regard. I've never been able to fix my mind to things. Well, that lucky I don't you're lucky we live in the current year. That's I mean, true because it wasn't yeah. always easy to be a writer and podcaster. No, no, this is and this is specifically is a completely new thing as of like just you know a few years ago. Yeah, uh, you'd have to go through like radio and you know if you look if you if you read about like what traditional terrestrial radio is like yeah it's just a completely different animal and it's much more form-fitting and it's much more uh, conformist there are some blessings that we we tend to forget about even this culturally decadent and uh, vacant period that we're currently in yeah that doesn't have to remain that way um, yeah i mean what bothers me about the culture like it's a thing that's like not even like you know, it's like people have are, are so abstract. Like, oh, the people are, you know, not rooted or atomized. To me, it's just like they're fat and they have tattoos. Like, fix that and 90% of my anger at society will go away. <laughs> well, now you're described as a prominent skinny public intellectual by, by Steve Saylor. Oh, yeah, that, that. Prominent <laughs> yeah. skinny. And yeah. you, apparently you lost, I mean, I, I, you didn't seem like the type who, but you apparently, like, well, you've transformed your body. Is that a few times? I mean, I was fat when I was growing up, but then I lost. I went from like two ten to like one sixty uh, when I was like sixteen, and I've been yo-yoing ever since. But I've been skinny now for like two and a half years. Right. I've got the years, but I don't think I don't think I'm going to go back now that I'm a public intellectual. Now that I rant about fat people and how worthless they are, right. I've I backed myself into a corner. You, you have. You can't. Uh, uh, I, can't, I, can't I can't. You can come and spit on me if I'm fat. You can say I'm a hypocrite and all my ideas are BS. And yeah, I just sort of it's it's a commitment device to talk like this. Yeah. <laughs> I just read a story about the. Uh, uh, Orthodox Jews spitting on people in Israel, uh, on spitting on Christians in Israel. They should, they should, yeah, they should have a contract where Jews can spit on you if you get fat. <laughs> that would be a good law, yeah, a weight loss program, yeah. I'm sure it'd be a popular porn site too, honestly. Um, how did you? So you wrote about your like 
you know, when you wrote your, okay, when you tried, when you, when you danced, you did this, your nimble dance around the cancellation attempt, you wrote about how you've, you transformed your angry dick host self into the current version we see today, which yeah. is not as angry and is more optimistic, and, but also doesn't have, doesn't, you don't have any, you don't disavow anything but your kind of your mood at the time. Is that correct, or am no, I being accurate? Or? Not really. No, I mean, I, I I talked about like forced sterilization and stuff, and I don't believe in that anymore. I don't. Did even, you believe in it then, or were you just kind of talking shit? Yeah, you know, half and half. Right. And the, uh, and, you know, like immigration restriction. Like I don't even believe in that anymore. I don't believe in white identity politics. I was more friendly towards that. Um, so yeah, quite a bit has changed. Some people like. Yeah, they say, oh, you're, you know, if you're still a race realist or something, they say nothing's changed. But, you know, a lot of people are, are race realists, so... Well, as an immigration, pro-immigration thing, which seems to be a libertarian uh, position that you have, is that, like, are you, like, what are your... Requ- I mean, are you just pro-immigration, full stop, or do you have... Do you believe that immigration should be regulated according to certain cultural standards. I, I think it should be pretty open. I mean, I think that like thinking in terms of communities at the nation state level is just too large, right? I think that like, you know, uh, you know, Americans, most of the problems are from other Americans. We're talking about the urban underclass so that we're talking about leftists with their crazy ideas. Um, I think the problems that immigrants bring are very small relative to that. And we have to solve, you know, the, the real problems of this country. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, integration is good for the economy. It's good for just sort of like the cultural dynamism. Like I want there to be like sort of more divisions within this, within this country. I think we're, you know, the idea like you're gonna have like a homogenous nation or we're going to go to any kind of like common culture. It's just, it's just sort of a fantasy. I mean, you're just going to have to sort of let sort of, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's like a sort of a, like roll the dice and see what happens right i'm just like anti-preserving anything like i just think it's like you know we could have we could have fun like you know it's like markets but creative destruction demographic change you don't like it have kids right have, have kids have you have kids right I, I have, you I have, have three kids, kids right two two kids yeah and so like if you you know why don't the white nationals why don't they focus on that if you've got one each white person to have one more kid you wouldn't have to worry about you know the great replacement like you stopped having kids so forced fertilization not forced I don't know, like convince people yeah, right convince people. talk uh, them Darwin, into it yeah Darwin I mean we have not even tried well as you point that. as you I, the one of my favorite things about you know what you choose to emphasize in this book which is ultimately a very dense, legally dense, and you know, factual document yeah. with a little bit of um, a little bit of utopian ideation at the end, which is actually very fun. Yeah. Where you t- describe what the world might be like if yeah. the civil rights monster is slain. Yeah. Um, and one of the things you, I think, come back to, which is one of the things I've been most passionate about too, is how miserable the Title IX and this whole thing, sexual harassment. All the all the stuff, all the all the all stars, how miserable it has made. Like the ten hours a day everyone has to spend at work. Yeah, and 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 how like that is completely ignored in these conversations at the you know state level or anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like everything has to be sort of sanitized to like take into account the feelings of the most sensitive. And like you know, markets can take in account of that if like you have a bunch of competent employees who don't want you know, to be hit on or whatever, like you can, you're free, always free to have policies like that. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they find it sort of soul draining to be inside of the 
to be part of like the corporatized, uh, you know, HR compliant environment. And yeah, these civil rights laws just forced a one size fits all on on everybody. There's no, you know, there's almost no uh, uh, conceivable out, no matter how much you would like it. It's just against the law. And this is not what a free country does. You know, free country lets people be free, lets them have institutions in the way they want them. It also weaponizes the literal worst people in the world. It does uh, do that, yeah. That, and that's just like, if you're not morally attuned to what the worst people in the world are, you don't even like, you're, you're not outraged by this, but if you are, you're outraged. You're, you look at people who just de- destroyed Trevor Bauer's life, the pitcher who just uh, posted la- yesterday his, yeah. the text by the woman who destroyed his career and cost yeah. the Dodgers a World Series that year, probably. Um, you look at the kind of you you cite number a number of cases in here i mean i can i might read them separately not to waste time here but um in a number of cases of these major lawsuits uh that were won by people who claimed that you know there was they they were they were dealing with a hostile work environment yeah and then you just think about who's the type of person who even if they were accurately heard something hostile or accurately heard something offensive quote unquote who's the type of person who would dedicate his life to suing and like making that yeah. meal ticket of his life well or you her know life? Razib uh, Khan my good friend had just had a podcast about like they just added caste discrimination in California civil rights law and so he had these like uh, Indians on and they're basically being accused of caste discrimination these are people who are like a guy's like an atheist it's like it's just a kind of you know just a completely fabricated sort of problem that doesn't really exist in the United States um and so, yeah, you're right. It, it is. It's like it's bringing out the worst of people. It's it's centering racial identity, right? Which is also it's also inventing it in a way. Like you may you have that whole chapter yeah. about how all these races in the census were basically yeah fiction. Hispanic, Asian. I mean, they were invented. They weren't natural categories. The Americans AAID, in the 19- what was it? AAPI. AAPI. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Americans in the 1950s. They didn't have this word. They didn't think about Hispanics. They didn't think about Ricky Ricardo. Marrying Lucy as a uh, multi, you know, a, 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 a biracial marriage, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just these these things were imposed from above. I I worked for the census in 2010 as a census taker for three weeks, um, and you know, one of my one of the things I and I was on the west side, so there weren't too many Armenians, but because Armenian is not on there, Armenians just put white, and I'm assuming you put white. Your people would also put white mm-hmm. if you had like without, yeah. but you could also write it in. So I would tell the Armenians. The IANs on my list, a few that I encountered, to write in Armenian just because, you know, so you can have some stats on it. Um, And and there's just like this huge, I don't know, it's so weird. And yet you have Hispanic, which literally is meaningless. Yeah. And just at this point stands for like possibly white nationalists because all the Wignats are basically basically Latino. Yeah, Yeah. that's absurd. Imagine how much white nationalists they'd be if government didn't tell them they were a different race. I mean, they would, this is assimilation. I mean, this is what the, immigration restrictionists worry about worry about them becoming all you know mass white nationalist mass shooters because <laughs> there's a lot of that <laughs> <laughs> i mean i feel like you would get more right-wingers to be fine with immigration if it didn't seem like and if it wasn't the case that there are just like boatloads of immigrants coming in south of the from south of the border and immediately just being being kind of like chaperoned to vote democrat I think that's the main. If you could prove that immigrants are voting 50-50 or better in favor of Republicans, I think you, you would get attitudes to change. I, mean, I think they're I, maybe. I think they're just racist, though. I think the Venezuelans are pretty right-wing that are fleeing the socialist government, and they still don't like it. I think it's just a. I think it's just it's 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 not that complicated. It's just racism. I mean, it is like there are like simple like 
explanations that don't flatter the right very well. And I no, think but I think that voting Republican will has a way of uh, it may have a little bit of an neutralizing impact, but they st- you know they're they're just so blanketly against immigration. I had a I had a, a paper on this back when I was doing like experiment social science where like I, I adjusted where like I made the immigrants white or non-white I made them uh, vote Republican or vote Democrat and even if they voted Republican um, Republicans were still more anti-immigration than Democrats well yeah I get me in a lab but but I mean, I'm saying like in in reality if it was like a yeah. if you see the if you feel well, I just, it well I just told you Venezuelans yeah. I mean so are they I, are they voting Republican I Do think we know? I think there's like public opinion polls I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure on this but like there's you know they're fleeing socialism so there's every reason to sort of assume that they might be. But, you know, well, they're, they're, yeah, but then if they end up kind of just in the kind of immigration, um, the, like the immigration system, and then they end up kind of being just driven to the polls by Democrats and kind of nudged to vote Democrat, they, they don't necessarily uh, yeah, put two and two together. There's not enough Democrats to, to drive all the immigrants to no, the polls and nudge them all. No, maybe maybe our only hope that is sounds, that most Democrats aren't drive, learning to drive yeah, anymore, especially the non-binary ones. <laughs> I mean, it's such a, yeah, it's such a sort of a nice story that, like, they're just, you know, it's not that organized, you know, they're, they're voting left for regular reasons, not, not nefarious. Gibbs. Gibbs are just like, you know, instincts, like they know that Republicans don't want them here. And they just sort of get it, and that's all there is to it. There's another factor that emerged from this story, um, which we're, you know, I'm just, we're kind of talking around it because you have to re- read the book to get the full picture, and I think it's not that hard of a picture to get. But one of the big things that emerged to me uh, in this story, one of the, the villains, the biggest villain perhaps, are actually the moderate, the rhinos, the moderate Republicans who... Yeah knew that this was bad um, in principle and ideologically that, you know, who believe, who knew that it was, the civil rights was supposed to be about colorblindness, not about, uh, not about engineering outcomes, but who were just too much of a pussy to stop it and who therefore let it, kind of, whether at the Supreme Court level or whether in Congress or any number of other places, they would add a little thing about no quotas, but yeah. you can still kind of make it happen you can still use it as a factor. And that is what kind of made it this unlimited, gave it this unlimited and yeah. obscure power. Yeah. Sandra Day O'Connor and Anthony Kennedy yeah, are, the, are terrible justices because they gave, yeah, they gave, they made it sort of that you couldn't have explicit quotas, but if you produce enough paperwork, you could continue to discriminate um, against whites and against men. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, and then they have the Republican politicians who, I mean, sometimes I think they were just actually, they were just liberals. I mean, they were just, they just agreed with liberals on civil rights and thought racism was a big thing. Um, but there's, there are fewer of those now um, who want actually government, you know, racial consciousness. The Republican Party has moved to the right on, on this as, as it has on most issues. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's sort of the, the, the political, you know, what the theme of the book is that's the political compromise nature. The fact that you didn't have like this hard quota system. You had like this soft system where government was always sort of managing um, you know, like managing the workplace and, you know, managing its different programs. Uh, and that sort of put everybody on edge, empowered the HR bureaucrats and sort of led to where we are today. On that, on that note, there was a, you know, there was a debate when this recent case happened, the, what's it called? The one that, the, the affirmative action SFFA ruling. SFFA v. Harvard. Harvard, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a bit of a debate in me. I, you know, I immediately celebrated it as an important step. But then on the other hand, they did give that loophole. They did allow for the same kind of loophole that you, you identify as being really, um, you know, a really destructive thing. So I'm, but you've been 
you've also been champ, champ, you know, celebrating that ruling. So I'm wondering yeah. where, what you think about that, the, that loophole. You know, I think people are just, I, people are distracted by universities and affirmative action at universities because I think the universities are gone. There is no loophole. You can't run the, like, there's no, it's not a loophole. First of all, it's not a loophole just to say you can mention race in, uh, in a essay like obviously how can you ban that right right um and so like you know the people are like making such a they want to find uh you know a sort of uh black you know a black cloud um and they they uh seized on that now it is true that the universities are going to a large extent you know try to continue practicing racial discrimination and you'll just have to keep fighting against them but i think the hope is outside of the university system i think the universities are pretty much gone. I wrote this in my piece, uh, How to Not Get Cancelled, in that, you know, they've all, anyone who was not a lunatic um, has selected out of the university. Who Imagine the kind of person who uh, got a job in the 2010s um, on a university campus these days. I mean, they're all, they're all woke already, right? So, like, you know, you force them to be, and I don't want, like, smart conservatives to go into academia, right? I don't want them to be, like, professors of anthropology or political science generally. I mean, this stuff is it's not teaching bored undergrads who don't give you know who don't give a shit, um, and like the admissions, like who cares? Like some marginal white people won't get, like a few blacks will get to university. I mean, it's better to have fewer affirmative action, you know. Not because I care about like fairness to the marginal whites, you know. Although that's something. It's just that the main point is like these affirmative action. You know, these kids who get in with affirmative action tend to be have terrible politics, and they tend to you know have negative impact on the campus culture and the culture more generally when they get decent jobs. But I think, you know, the universe, the, the point is the universities are sort of the hardest nut to crack just because they are so ideological. It's the private sector uh, that you've got to make the difference. You've got to make them scared to death of considering race. Um, you've got to, um, you know, really go to war DEI. You need to, you know, appeal to their financial self-interest by letting them go ahead and hire the best person for the best job and use IQ tests or whatever else they want to use. Um, and I think that's that's where you see the change. I think the universities, you know, they're, they're worth fighting and it's hard, but like you're you're gonna the change is gonna be limited just because of the personnel. Like it's it's a sort of boarding house for these people who just who just suck at life. I mean, I've always been obviously, you know, since I, I've been politically aware, I've been so you know opposed to the academic, the, the academic world and all its standing, everything that it kind of. I knew that back in the 2000s when South Park was ascendant and all these things, and there was a free speech period. Um, as I say, like stemming from the 90s, I was sort of laughed off when I would sound the alarms about how the about these ideological movements on campus because people would say, yeah, who cares? Like that's, yeah. that's done. It's uh, the real world. Nobody cares. They just want to make money. And I'm like, yeah, but millennials don't have anything, are, are not being bred with any sort of moral imagination or substance to withstand these things. And at some point when their horniness wears off a little bit, when they go into the real world, when they need a moral cause, they're going to end up being infected by all this because there's nothing else. There's no religion that's really, you know, this was like the age of uh, new atheism and all this. So there was a, there is no yeah. real cultural education happening. And I was afraid of what exactly what ended up happening via the internet pipeline, basically Tumblr and, yeah. and social media, which at the time wasn't even, didn't even exist. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder, I mean, I've always been rooting for the demise even though I like the idea, I like, in theory, I like academia, I like the monastic ideal, I like being able to study yeah. for your whole life and yeah. live around men. But uh, uh, how is it that, is this, how is this thing actually going to be, how is academia actually going to be with all its bazillions of endowments and everything, and 
all these people who are, who are, you know, all these alumni, even the conservative ones who are so attached to the prestige of having gone to Harvard, having gone to, to Princeton, Stanford. How is this thing actually going to fall apart in your view or in your vision? You know, I think it's, it has to a large extent discredited itself, not to a large extent, to some extent, because if you look at the numbers of enrolling in colleges, kids are becoming less likely to do that in the last, you know, five, six years. Um, there has been a, um, you know, there, there have, there, you know, there is like, uh, you know, you look at like how much people trust universities, whether they want their kids to go to college. I mean, those numbers are going down. There is, you know, there, and you know, there's like you want alternative sources of like meaning, you know, you have, uh, uh, you know, you have, um, you know, like, you know, TikTok might not be the best influence and Instagram might not be the best influence and Twitter and all this stuff. But, you know, there are like other areas where you can, you know, preach some kind of different message. And now we have more free speech on Twitter. You know, we'll see, you know, Elon Musk owns Twitter for 20 years. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be a different world. And so... Um, Certainly the most optimistic thing to happen is him buying Twitter, which I... Big deal, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to, I think, like, we're in the process of, like, where public education sort of being destroyed in large parts of the country. They're having, uh, they're giving universal school vouchers where they're just giving the parents money and saying you can pull out of the public schools. Ten states have, like, ten states have done that in the last uh, year and a half or so. Um, and so you're having large swaths of the country where, like, you know, sort of public education is just being defunded. It's becoming a very partisan issue. Um, and that's, you know, there's hope for that. I mean, there's hope that, like, like you know, the, the the problem is education itself. The problem is the idea that we put people in desks for you know uh, twelve grades and then more time uh, for a lot of the population. Um, we shouldn't we shouldn't be doing that. People should be out living life. Childhood should not be that long, and childhood should be more out going outside and doing things and even working and wheeling some, and dealing. Whatever hustling, yeah. yeah. I mean anything but anything but this shit. Anything but sitting before the fat teachers' unions representatives and you know having them preach to you about anti-racist baby. I mean anything is better than there's no childhood. You know. Yeah. I saw this as one clip. Maybe there's something worse like China where they just you know drill. Twelve hours a day. I just saw that on your Twitter. They actually forced twelve-hour school days. I, I, I did is it. That fact, real? I did it. Fact check the video. I mean oh, I don't know. Right. Right. I have no idea. That sounds insane. It sounds insane. But who knows? Asians do some insane things when it comes to education. You're not an IQ cell. You're not like someone who's like, hey, let's bring in uh, 90% Chinese. No, make us dumber. I mean, make, give us Mexicans. Give them fun-loving and <laughs> enjoyable, you know? No, I mean, it's like, no, China, like, China's probably like the last, one of the last places in the world that I would want, like, my kids to grow up, right? It's like, especially during COVID, like, who knows if there's another, if there's another virus, like, who knows what they'll do? You, you almost have to worry about that. Yeah, they don't, they're not living happy lives. They're very neurotic and they, you know, they have a, you know, it's it's just a, not a not a you know they're not forming families. They have lower birth rates than us. Um, so yeah, I'm not a no. I, you can't worship IQ. It's not like it's not just like avoid crime, like minimize crime. Okay, then Japan and Korea will win. Like they'll be the best societies in the world. But it's not just about that. It's about you know everything else in life. It'll be great if you can have all the fun and then also also find a way to just minimize crime. Which yeah. there have been moments when that was at least yeah. You know, New York and uh, you know, Giuliani, you, New York. Maybe you want some crime. Like, maybe you want some crime. You want some guys getting drunk and getting rowdy. It's like it's you want guys like, pissing in the. And you definitely want guys pissing on the street. You want that's that. a cry we you, want. You want them. You know, you want them maybe being a little too aggressive with the women. You right, want right. them getting drunk and doing stupid things to a certain extent. Yeah, you don't want like you know shootings and <laughs> you're gonna shoot. Oh yeah, I don't even consider that. By yeah. homeless people, that's not a. That's no. not. There's no nothing noble or heroic in that. No. Uh, but yeah, you don't want to completely. You know, it doesn't make it. Shoot. That doesn't make a a, a, a neighborhood artsy. Yeah. I mean, I committed crimes when I was a kid. You know, I stole. Crimes? I stole stuff. I stole uh, 
portable TV from Radio Shack. Oh, shit. How old were you when you did that? Uh, like 13 or something. 13. I said, like, can I see that? And then I was in the mall. And it was like a Radio Shack for young people. It was like an electronic store. It was like a portable TV. It was like this, you know, this right. big and it had a little screen. And I just walked out with it. And that was a cool device back then. Now we like, did you get caught by your parents? No. I got, I, so the last time I stole something, I, it was Gator gum, Gatorade flavored gum from a grocery store when I was like in second grade and the security guard caught me <laughs> and I was grounded for two fucking months and yeah. that was the end of my criminal <laughs> career. <laughs> I had a some brief klepto that yeah. those years, like I would steal shit from school, like little stupid bullshit just for the sake of stealing yeah, it. Yeah, me too. I used to steal calculators. We used to have these calculators that were pretty expensive. They were like, uh, uh, like graphing calculators, which used to be a big deal. Probably doesn't even exist anymore. Or barely exists. Um, yeah, I mean, it's okay to be a little bit it's okay to be a little bit free, you know, violating norms, right? Yeah, I mean, I, it just you should channel that into expressing right-wing views instead of stealing shit. You know, that's what I'll, I'll yeah, do. generally, yeah. yeah. But there's a correlation, right? The guys who steal stuff and get into fights when they're younger might express more, you know, politically incorrect views when they grow up. Right. There's definitely a rebellion streak that that trans that translates for sure. You, you know, Jilly, J. Philip Rushton, uh, the guy who wrote about a we called wrote a book called Race, Evolution, and Behavior. Um, you should. It's it's a PDF. There's a short version online. You yeah. should read. What's what's the, the? Oh, it's a theory that like you know uh, the different races are like uh, it's RK selection. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but no. like you know uh, basically the blacks are very uh, energized, you know, sexual, um, low investment in children, and Asians are like sort of the other end of the spectrum. And he says a lot of species like have this like spectrum where like all these traits go together, of, yeah. like different ends. Uh, but anyways, the funny thing is, like, he was, you know, he was prosecuted in academia, like, the Canadian government, like, uh, investigated him. He was a professor up there. And, um, you know, but, like, his life, private life was funny. I, I don't remember the details. He might have, like, been going around impregnating black women. So it's pretty, it's pretty funny that he was, like, this sort of, uh, this rebel scientist, but also, like, sort of a criminal or, like, not a criminal, but, like, an antisocial figure in, in a lot right. of ways. Right, a very, a very, a, po- a very, a virile Batman sort of figure, yeah. or, or reverse yeah. Batman. Yeah, kids don't know Jay Philly Rushton. It's so funny. Like, this is but like ten years ago, fifteen years ago, everyone who was like far right, like knew who that was. Now nobody. It's like the far right is getting dumber. Like Rushton is like one of those people they should know. Everyone's just getting dumber in the sense that they don't that anything that happened five minutes ago is like off their off yeah. the radar. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of things I see on Twitter, especially where it's just like, wait. This was a thing. I mean, don't you know that this was a thing? Like just literally fourteen years ago. A little. I mean, they don't know any of their forefathers either. I mean, who 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 even knows about David Horowitz anymore? Yeah. Um, who's been on this show? Someone I've known for twenty years. Uh, and like, I admire these original warriors. And yeah. it's sad when people who fancy themselves, you know, yeah. uh, counterculture figures. It's just, it's just don't know anyone. Yeah, Twitter's just an idiot machine. It's just a, a machine, like, 15 years ago, like, you actually had to write essays, you had to write something. Yeah, you had like, to put thoughts, string some thoughts together. Like you, so you were, like, yeah, so you had to have some smarts, and, then like, if you what you wrote was dumb, you couldn't really write an essay. Like, people could see that, and you'd lose credibility. Now it's just, like, anyone can post, like, you know, anything, any videos and memes on Twitter, and they can become big, and, yeah, we're just all dumber for it. Yeah, I mean, also, you have this whole, like, cadre of people who come along, we call them e-girls, um, who will basically just steal tweets or jokes from like yeah. you know from from three years ago from yeah. from smarter people yeah. and just re- and just repeat them yeah. verbatim but they're girls and so straight guys just simp all over them there's yeah. just a whole army of simps <laughs> that just smother these heinous e-girls yeah. all the time stealing takes from from people like Jack Mason my friend the host of the Perfume Nationalist who's also 
uh, a fan of yours uh, who's from Anna, Hachian. Um, it happens all the time. It's very annoying. It's like, yeah. it's, not a, it's not an earnest intellectual uh, uh, like progeny happening. It's, it's, it's just... Fu- it's funny how unambitious women are because like, you're right. It's like so easy to like be like a D-girl and like just have political takes and be successful. But like, I feel like if you put a man's brain in like a woman's body, like they would have millions and millions of followers. Like each one of them would. Yeah. But it's just like so few women do it because women are, you know, not that ambitious. They're just <laughs> they're just doing women things. Yeah, not to, yeah, which is why Title Nine is was such a like one of the earliest red pills for me as a sports as a person who was really into sports growing up. Yeah. It was just insane that we had to sit there and it was government policy that there is something wrong with that there's something discriminatory about more boys liking sports and women liking sports and caring about sports. Yeah. My, the bane of my existence growing up was trying to get my sister, I have one sister, younger sister, to care even remotely about sports, which I was, yeah. you know, my dad and I were, it was our entire lives, and she couldn't, didn't give a shit. I wish she did, because, you know, we would have been able to, I would have been able to watch things more peacefully yeah. and with, you know, with her uh, camaraderie. Yeah. And then you just, you, then you grow up and you're like, wait a minute, it's law that, there must be the same number of scholarships that that yeah. there must be the same number of resources and that Athletes, to me is like yeah. one of the earliest erosions of any kind of biological sanity um, in American yeah. politics yeah the tra- yeah the trans stuff is just sort of uh, you know like it's sort of straw that broke the camel's back with a lot of people's perceptions but yeah they've been crazy they've been you know gender blank slate us for a very very long time yeah, it's, it's maddening. It's just so stupid. It's spoiled. Yeah, it's like I like. Spoiled. Yeah, I mean, I refer people to my chapter of the book, sports and sexuality. I mean, it's really is a. It's amazing the degree of social engineering. We want relationships to look like this. You know, we want you know sports to look like this, and we want women to play these sports, but not these sports because these sports are not masculine enough. I right. Mean, it's absolutely insane what the government's been doing for the last you know fifty years or so. You also point out in there too. I have this here uh, quote. A woman who acts too masculine by arguing with her colleagues and interrupting them during meetings cannot be discriminated against yeah. because, based on these behaviors, at least if they would be more acceptable than a man. But if a woman acts too feminine for a workplace, say if she is considered too nice and passive to manage employees and is not promoted for that reason, she has no legal recourse. In other words, government maintains that defending masculine behavior in women is something worth restricting freedom for. It does not adopt a, simil- a similar paternalistic role for women more generally. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Yeah, the degree of social engineering. I like that you quoted that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very specific and it's very ugly and it's never put that way. It's just, it's never, the logic in these court decisions and so forth is never carried to that logical conclusion. But it just follows perfectly from just, you know, the black letter law. Tell me what... Can you, can you walk me through a day in the life of Richard Hanania? Is, by the way, is it pronounced Hanania? Hanania. Hanania. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I get up, I go to the gym, uh, I sit on the computer, I, I tweet, I write things, I uh, go on shows sometimes, I meet people like you sometimes for lunch, um, go to the gym again usually at night. Um, you do two, you double gym? Some, some days, yeah. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, play with my kids, watch TV, go to sleep. You're, yeah, because you're. I see you sometimes. You know, I'm a night owl, so I, I'm up at weird hours, and I see you sometimes tweeting at six a.m. But then also at two a.m. And I'm like, is he also up all night? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I wake up. I, I wake up sometimes uh, in the middle of the night. Yeah, I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, and usually go back to sleep. I usually sleep in sort of shifts. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
That's, it makes sense. Yeah, not always, but sometimes. Yeah, and yeah I'm, I'm always always up early, and then, but yeah, sometimes I get up, and then sometimes I want to create something. Somebody needs to keep guard at all hours is the thing that people don't understand. You can't just let the discourse run run amok <laughs> it's without a, anyone keeping like. It's addictive. I think I'm too. Them. I think I'm too. You know, I, I've been cutting back. Like I don't. You know, I only check it during certain hours now, so I'll go. You know, large swaths of the day without looking at Twitter, which I think is you know better for me. It's too. Yeah, you know, it's too much. It's just good not to focus on it all the time. And how did you, um, like going back now to your life story, how did you become politically engaged, I guess? Like at what age, how old were you? What, what, what was the first thing that did it that got you, got, you, got you excited about this sort of, this sort of thing? I don't know. It was like, uh, I think I was like interested in, I think it was like when I was like, I was political when I was like 17, 16 or 17. I was, it was like uh, how, you know, it was like right after 9-11 and around the time of the Iraq war. I was sort of, I thought liberals were the smart ones. Um, I Because uh, you were anti-war. Yeah, I was anti-war, but also like anti-religion. And I was, I saw like the, you know, the terrorism stuff was like, you know, I saw like the Iraq war didn't have anything to do with it. The arguments for the Iraq war connecting to terrorism were just so dumb. And that, and then there was like, you know, like people don't remember now, but like creationism was like a big deal back then. There was yeah, like, there was a brief moment, yeah, because of Bush. Yeah, and it was like stem cell research was like, you know, there was, this was like before 9-11. That was the big thing about like, was Bush going to allow stem cell research? I remember that, yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is all retarded. Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, it's all, right. some, you know, the gay stuff, like, I didn't care about gay people, right? It was like. You, know, we, you didn't care about gay people. It was yeah, I didn't care like what they did. It was like it, like before it became crazy. The LGBT became like a, a you know a tyrannical movement. Yeah, but it just seemed like oh, you know, who cares if they want to marry each other, or whatever. So it was like the secular stuff, and then like the Iraq War, and I just assumed liberals were the smart people. Uh, and then like I voted for Obama, uh, not Obama. Uh, yeah, Obama for Senate in Illinois uh, when I was like uh, yeah, he ran the first year. I think it was yeah, two thousand four. So that was the first year I was old enough to vote. I voted Obama Senate and John Kerry. Uh, for president um, and then like pretty soon I like heard the arguments for capitalism and I thought they were you know irrefutable I thought they were just completely where did you first hear them where, how did, what was your your? I don't know I, I must have just been googling I, I, oh, okay. I, I don't like I don't know I was just online somehow you know I ran into you know Hayek and I ran into you know like, you do cite Hayek sometime time online so yeah Rothbard and like yeah, it was just like, you know, I read Ayn Rand, you know, right. which wasn't like, I wasn't like so into it like a lot of people were. Yeah, I was. Um, but I was early. I mean, I read her in 10th grade starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Um, and so, like, these arguments were just like... But she's were, more than just a political figure. Yeah. Right. And I also saw, like, a lot of, like, the new atheists, like Hitchens and Doc, like Hitchens and, like... Sam Harris. And yeah, shit. yeah, but they were like showing that like liberals were sort of becoming apologetic towards Islam, and I was like, oh wait a minute, I thought religion was retarded, mm-hmm. and these people like Islam. So like I was like, hmm, that's curious. And then like, and when I found like Steven Pinker and like uh, just like you know group differences and individual differences, that made complete sense to me. It was never like I never had a time where like I doubted, you know. Uh, that there were, you know, genetics had a major role to play. I was always very sort of scientifically minded, right? Like this, this followed from like, you know, not believing in any religion. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I became right wing pretty fast. Um, it didn't last long. My liberal, your you liberal know, phase, yeah, a couple of years. So then, and then you became, and then were you active in, in college, basically? Not really, no, no. I was just basically online commenting on things or like reading books on my own, but I was never. 
I wasn't very sociable growing up. I mean, I wasn't like sociable, so like that would be like going out and doing something. I was more sort of inward focused. Inward, so, okay, so you were kind of just studying for your own mental intellectual diet. Pretty so. much, yeah. And and you were also into. I think you wrote about. You had a phase where you really were looking into all the PUA stuff, the pickup artist books, probably to help you yeah. na- navigate. Yeah. Yeah. The... And that was yeah. I mean, there was a. I don't know if you re- if you were aware of this, but this was like mid two thousands. I oh, must yeah. have discovered it like very early. No, I, re- I remember the whole thing. I remember how I remember. Do you the know explosion. a guy named David D'Angelo? I re- was he covered in the book Neil Strauss's he, book? He might have been somewhere in there, but he was yeah. the first one I discovered. Uh, he was just like, <laughs> he was such a goofball. He would uh, there's DVDs. You would buy DVDs and they would uh, deliver it to your house. It turned out this guy eventually got married, but it turned out like he admitted that he'd only had sex with like two women or something. Oh wow! And it was really funny. So it was, this whole thing was like a, he was a con man, right? Uh, but you'd watch these DVDs and he'd have seminars, or like he, these men would come and, he, and his advice was really he said he sucked. I think mystery and he was maybe like the first generation, like your generation it wasn't that bad, but like Neil Strauss and like mystery uh, were much better. Uh, they had much more practical advice um, and so yeah I was into that stuff and it, it, it's good I mean it, all young men should get into it the PUAs were right I mean they were right people should read the game if you're young and you're you're masturbating all the time and you don't have any women read the game and like sort of like you know know like a, you know a different reality is possible but you didn't need PUA stuff to to get to like seduce black women that's the thing right I mean not you know I had you know when I discovered PUA was I was in Chicago I was around black women and then I wasn't really around black I haven't been around black women really much since Uh, and that's when I went to Colorado I I got into the PUA stuff so yeah I don't know probably would have made me better with all women I mean you know (laughs) no I know I'm sure it works on it's just less it's just less necessary because they're actually down to they're actually like more in in the moment you know yeah you can it's very much more efficient you don't need to nag you don't need to (laughs) nag and peacock peacocking probably works on them because black men like to peacock a lot yeah and negging I mean it's universal yeah right it's universal it works in every department they're just yeah I think they're I think they're more open sexually overall so like there's more you, you don't have you need less skill and like just being looks like I was you know I was pretty good looking when I was like 18, 19 um, and you know that, that helped too right the black women just you're still good looking well thank you you're still thank good you. looking yeah, yeah. you have a very you have a very uh, um, also you're, you have a very unique look yes which, people don't forget me yeah yeah they don't forget no and that's why you get make, that's why you know I think you, you, there's a certain you know I've been analyzing this because there's a certain group there's a certain you have a fan base online which you probably aren't even aware of They're, they call themselves the Hananiacs I've heard the term once or twice yeah yeah there's a you know many of them are gay not all most really yeah yeah um, I didn't you know, know that part. There, there, yeah, there's like, there's, you have a whole like, you know, they're the part, they're the group because you have your haters, and I think your haters are kind of, you, you have a, you, you hit a specific note with them. This is something that you have a way of like, I think straight guys online have a have this um, vulnerability to being extremely triggered by other straight guys who are kind of unapologetic, agree with them on about eighty five percent of the, everything, but there's about fifteen percent disconnect where they really like to like force their you know force their advantage especially if someone has a big following and yeah. success and I think you trigger that you uh-huh. trigger those that's a large large group of your like haters uh-huh. um, but there's a version of that that has all everything's the same but they just they don't hate they just love they enjoy the show and uh-huh. they enjoy the uh, they enjoy your battles with all, yeah. uh, you know on an unpredictable array of issues that you that yeah. you'll try to like and where do these where Hadanyaks where do they gather they gather in group chats they're, they're a secret yeah. society, really. Really? Yeah, yeah. They're they're not they're not there isn't like an official 
they're, they're, they like to keep themselves, you know, we, they like to keep nebulous. And they're all gay. And they're mostly they're gay. They're not all gay. No, no. Mm-hmm. There's many gay. I th- disproportionately gay. And how many, uh, is there one main group chat or there a bunch there's of them? A, there's, a, there's, I would say, uh, a crossover of about three, you know, where there's like a little bit of a Hananiac crossover. There's some, there's like, there's one that's very strictly Hananiac and then yeah. there's, uh, there's a few that where it's just it's just part of the the general you know you're they they Hananiacs are there and there's also other other types of um, uh, 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 personality affiliation but that's one of them. How big are these group chats? A few dozen people. Interesting. You know, yeah. yeah, they're 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 interesting things. I mean, you have you, you we don't know who necessarily who we appeal to. That's why I'm telling you all this. You know, uh. you have a you have a you have an audience that's beyond just the cheerleaders of one cause or another you have an, yeah people have who can appreciate the aesthetic I yeah you appreciators it. i love it yeah. you have aesthetic appreciators <laughs> who, who appreciate the the artistry of what you're doing it's not just about policy that's beautiful yeah maybe you have to be gay to sort of get it maybe you have to have sort of the combination of the male and the female to get what i'm doing you're too male you become too literal and stupid you're too female you'll be offended right. you sort of need the, the the gay man maybe is the is the perfect place it's exactly what it is <laughs> and it's and, and you're not the only person to benefit from the the homosexual gays uh-huh. i mean g-a-z-e um and the other gays but they're you're not the only person who who's who's instant who can only be truly appreciated because yeah. you have to have that objective sideline point of view that isn't either triggered or offended yeah um, Interesting. Yeah, because because the straights are the problem is the straights are competitive with you. They 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 see you as competition. Mm. That's the problem with the straight male is he con- he sees everyone who's do you know who's kind of in the same game, more successful, bigger na- you know more um, less anonymous. All these things as a competition. Yeah. Um, I mean, it it's not an accident that Bronze Age pervert posted his first self docs pick. Immediately after you posted that pic of you from the Anna, from the Anna debate the other week, yeah, you think that's related? I do believe that's related. I, I mean, this is just my personal hypothesis. Uh, yeah, I mean, the bat, so the book came out, so the book must have been in plans for a while. Uh, so I think that, that it was probably all, you know, I think well, it was probably not related to it's me. all. It's that specific post. I feel that instantly following yours, because he was also up in your replies when you posted that with a very yeah. funny reply. No, I don't think I'm that important. Maybe you're right, but I'm I don't just think saying. I'm, I'm just important. you know, this is yeah. this is this is this is this is where artistry comes in, and you have to can't be, look at these things too legalistically. Yeah. You have to just kind of sense what the actual cause, you know, what the spiritual cause and effect is. And I'm just saying that's part of what makes this. That's part of it, and, you know. Yeah. He came out as straight, and he came out as he posted a pic of himself instantly after. He came he out as straight. Well, no, I'm just saying, like, I think by doing that, by 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 uh, announcing that he that by following up you up so clear so quickly, he came out as straight. I, I, I that this is this is news to me. No, I didn't think I was sort of driving sort of a BAP cycle. I thought it was its own force. Just forces can often overlap. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, but it's it's been very fun to watch, and I'm so. Okay, back to Harper Collins does not cancel you. Yeah, they cancel. Wait, was it? I don't know if it was Harper Collins, but I'm just trying. I'm just comparing your case to, for example, Scott Adams, who I think has been doing great work the last several years, and he got completely canceled for less. And he's also has like 50 years of back, yeah. you know, of, of reputation and 50 years of mainstream everything. And he co- he got completely canceled. Well, he was like a syndicated. He had syndicated cartoons, right? So it was. He like, had syndicated cartoons. He also had a book coming out. 
Uh, who was the publisher? One know? of the big ones. I mean, whoever, I don't know if it was HarperCollins, which is yours, but it was one of the big ones. Yeah, I want to see. I'm yeah, check it out, because it's definitely one of the big ones. And he had, that was canceled. And all his books were discontinued. All his books, his many best-selling books were discontinued. And all went off Amazon, except for used copies. Penguin Random House, they won't publish their next book with Adams. Uh, it sounds like they were... Um yeah, the comics distributed some okay, so this, and this was oh, this was twenty twenty. This was this year. This year, yeah, just uh, like yeah. six months ago or yeah, four months ago. Time has just been weird. No, feel, time it is feels com- like five years ago. Yeah, I know. I time is completely off off the kilter right now. There's no way to know what time it is. February twenty twenty three. Okay, I guess we're in October. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just got lucky. I mean, I, I only I didn't have many. I mean, people had sort of. I think the you know the guy there, Eric Nelson, is the. Um, you know, is the I don't know what his job is called, editor or whatever. But the guy I work with there, you know, he's a fan. Uh, he sort of knows me from my Twitter, um, and so like you know, people were selected to sort of you know, people who associated with me already um, are sort of selected not to be offended. And yeah, we're in a different we're in a different world too. We're we're in a different place. These were old comments, right? They True. Were, that was you know, people don't know how to handle it. If I came out and said these are still my beliefs. <laughs> and I, I'm exactly the same. Right. Probably would have turned out differently, but you know, like it's hard to get someone for 12, 13 years ago. It's such a long time ago um, that you know, in 2018, that would destroy you. Like there was no, fr- you know, well, like, two, people, that was no people fr- have been destroyed for. I mean, I don't know how you know if you remember what happened to John Gruden, the NFL coach. Uh, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people have been destroyed for emails from 2000. Emails, private little emails yeah. that are not anyone's business. That yeah. are not, you know, like it's still happening. It's in, just, a, in a black profession. If you're in sports, I think because there's so many black people. I think they get offended. Yeah. So like at NBA, like everyone in the NBA, every white guy in the NBA is so woke, like Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, because they're they're not like 80% of the people around them are black and they just have to be. And so football is not as black, but still very, very black. Uh, And so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. I think it's just like the racial sensitivity there is so off the charts. They wouldn't even be offended if they were told to be offended for the last 10 years of BLM stuff. You know, mm. like this stuff, there used to be a lot of racist, yeah. there used to be a lot of racial candor. In no, sports. you're right. You're right. Yeah. One of the things I liked about it growing up. Yeah. I mean, it's still a reality. I mean, it's still, you can't completely get rid of the, you know, the real aspect of it because people can see what's, what's going on with their own eyes. Uh, you're right. But it's like, you know, we just, it just sucks in a way. <laughs> in a way it doesn't before. We have to lie in ways we did it. It's a cult. It's like you describe. You know, you describe. You try to. Um, at some point, you know, you some one of your many summaries of what civil rights law is, and it basically amounts to. I'll read it now. Civil rights law has the ambition of religion without benefit of the right to exist to exit, mm-hmm. without benefit of the right to exit, and without having competed with other systems of societal organization and having proved more functional than them. It constructs and shapes racial identities, has ideal types of gender it tries to mold into being, and claims jurisdiction over a potentially unlimited range of speech, thought, and behavior. All the while, it is of a fundamentally dishonest character. It speaks of equal treatment, but requires different treatment of various groups, justifies itself as temporary and limited, even as it has become permanent and expansive, and claims to be based in the rule of law while creating subjective and ever-changing standards. Hmm. This is all to the letter how you would define a cult versus like a legit religion um you know it's not completely about that but that's that's basically these are basically the characteristics of a what we want to call a dangerous cult versus a established religion yeah and uh, you know that seems to be the 
this cult state sponsored cult of our time, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you recognize it. I'm glad. Pe- you know, I, I'm trying to narrow the focus for people. They see the cult. They know Ibram Kendi is a lunatic, and they know New York Times columnists are lunatics. Yeah, it just. I mean, you know, I'm trying. You know, telling you sort of like the root of all of this yeah. is just the law, and that's what gives it power over the rest of us. They can chirp all they want. They can complain all they want, but you know, without legal power and without lawsuits and courts and uh, you know, government agencies, they, they they don't have the power. So, like, just focus on that, and we can we can fix this thing. What's next for you in the big picture thing? And the in, I mean, I'm sure you're, you need to take a breath, but uh, do you have a certain another book planned, another big project planned? Uh, I'm going to like you know, this is very sort of histor- historical legalistic. I think I'm going to sort of develop my philosophical ideas a little bit more. Um, and so I don't have a book planned or anything, but I have some essays uh, that are in the works that'll be coming in you know, the coming weeks or so. Um, I have a debate with uh, Curtis coming up. That'll that'll be part of it uh, over here in LA. Um, and so yeah, yeah I'm excited about that. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm also doing so. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not completely going away from the uh, sort of science, social, scientific stuff. I have some. You know, I'm gonna write a. Uh, I'm working. I'm co-authoring a thing on like um, sort of explaining sort of like. Uh, uh, how we know like genes are important for de- determining like you know individual outcomes like people think oh it's you know all family or you know whatever and like that's not true like I think a lot of this knowledge that was um, uh, that the right wing people had like the really right wing people had 50, 10 15 years ago uh, has sort of slipped through the cracks and you know I'm gonna resurrect that in addition to the philosophical things and yeah we'll just see where it goes from there I don't have any huge projects planned. But you have a very popular substack and you, you know you write a kind of on a wide range of topics for your substack in a very entertaining way and I am assuming that that audience is always ready for your next uh, Oh yeah, yeah, that's slice. the stuff that I'm talking about that's going to be on that'll be on the substack and so people can look out for it. They right. can go richardhanania.com, subscribe. It's not it's uh, people think you have to pay but you don't have to pay. Right. Some things you have to pay for, but most things you don't. Um, and then yeah, I'm on Twitter and you know, I'll be keeping everyone up to date there. Yeah. And before we end, just because it's such an important, um, important part of my, the spiritual landscape of filthy Armenian adventures, I wanted to ask you your feelings and thoughts about living in Los Angeles and the city of Los Angeles specifically. I don't know if you have any feelings or thoughts about it because you don't necessarily seem like the type to reflect on necessarily uh, uh, something as uh, uh, abstract as a, as a giant fucking city like this. But I'm curious what you've, how you, you know, when you moved here, it's been at least 10 years, I'm assuming, because of UCLA. Yeah. What your, th- you know, how how this city feels to you as a Chicago boy? You know, it's, um, you know, it's uh, so you know I'm not in the city now. I'm sort of out in the suburbs a bit. I lived in the city when I was at uh, uh, UCLA. It's sort of like a diverse, like sort of you know the entire city is sort of suburban. It's not like walkable, like the, the, you know that that's true. But it's like so beautiful that there is like so much to do like you can go to the beach you know you can go to like there's you know so many trails and like nice things just you know within within you know just a few minutes of driving of here uh and so like i think like it's you know it's a great place if you admire you know a lot of the people are beautiful and there's like a lot of natural beauty out here um and that's what i love i I think like the politics like you know people expect me probably to say something about the politics it's really sort of it's not something you have to worry about all that much it's not like san francisco where i feel like it's like the bay area it's always in your face i was recently up there and you know you go by and like you see blm like and like all these white silences genocide like oakland and berkeley i mean it's just absolutely you know like a crazy place you don't have that in la obviously most people are democrats they vote liberal 
um, but it is sort of it is sort of apolitical. Uh, I think the UCLA campus was relatively apolitical compared to other campuses, and the city itself is too. Except when the COVID came, when the COVID came, they were like crazy. They had mask mandates for a very long time. Ridiculous um, long time. Yeah, I, I wouldn't comply. That was that was fun. Neither would I. Uh, and yeah. I get yelled at, and I would be yelled back. Yeah, right? yeah. I, when I was walking outside. Yeah, you know, we, like, we, me, and you protect everyone else's freedom because that, that makes them not want to approach people, and, and yeah, know, if they have a few aggressive uh, uh, off whites. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so A O Ws. <laughs> <laughs> so I love LA. I'm not gonna say it's good. Like, it's a great place, and yeah, I'd probably be here for a while. Good, good. It's important to love LA. Do you have any spots? Do you have any like restaurants? Any any like spots you 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 have a, 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 a like association with? Uh, uh, not to like to track people track you down, but just in general over your time in in the city. Any uh, burger joints? I don't know. Whatever. Um, there's a really nice. Uh, Restaurant, Japanese restaurant called Ichiba in Pasadena. If people want to find that, have you been there? I have not. No, it's pretty. Ichima. It's pretty good. Um, uh, and there's a, yeah, there's there's a, you know there's a few others. Um, yeah, there's another Japanese restaurant. The name's uh, the name uh, slips slips my mind. But you, you really can't go wrong. I mean, you you like restaurants. You like restaurants, ethnic food. I mean, you any corner you'll have a Korean or a Chinese restaurant or a Japanese. Do you like uh, Zanku or any of the? Oh, Zanku's good too. Yeah, there's one of those in Pasadena. Yeah, uh, there's one in Glendale too. Okay, I so think. I know. they're all over now. Yeah, yeah the they, original one is right in my neighborhood. Awesome. They just get, I ask for extra garlic and they just they give you this the garlic, garlic sauce cups is there. Yeah, and you get the chicken and you get the kebab and you just smother it in garlic and you, you have yeah. to ask them. They'll only give you one or two. Yeah, yeah, you have to ask for more, and they'll give you more if you ask for more. Yeah, it's there's a whole Zanku. You'll you'll be interested to know there's a whole murder family story related to Zanku. They're Armenians from Lebanon. Uh, There's a whole like one of the great LA murder stories uh, related to Zanku chicken. I'll I'll uh, I'll uh, send you one of the the articles about. it. it's quite interesting. I'll have to read about that. That's fascinating. Oh yeah, Um, yeah. Zanku chicken's like yeah. It's it's been here since the '80s. It's sort of an institution. It's been in Judd Apatow movies, and it's kind of been memed to this point. Yeah. Um, So everyone kind of finds their way to it. Well, it's a real pleasure, chatting, and getting to know you. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Last time. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for coming out here. Yeah. Is is the debate set yet or not quite yet? We're uh, we're just working through the logistics. We're trying to find you know moderator a moderator and location, and we're doing that. But it won't be it won't be too long. Cool. Yeah, I've been doing. I did my first live show the other week, and so I'm I've been looking to you know. Yeah. What did you do? Who was the guest? Uh, the guests were various friends of mine. Uh, Jack Mason, the Perfume Nationalist yeah. podcast, and Adam Lair, who who does who's also in like some, you know a writer, an, an, an author. Mommy Milkers, who's a big fan of yours. Like, heard. <laughs> I've heard of Mommy Milkers. Yeah, yes. she was a guest, Thank and you. mainly it was me. Mainly, you know, I was I did a long monologue. I t- typically my episodes start with a long monologue that's kind of comedic and uh-huh. weird. And uh, so it kind of captured the spirit of my show, but live version. I had Armenian food for people. And when cool. we had an after party, we danced and how, did how drugs. Many people, how many people? Came? About 100 people. Awesome. Yeah, man. for the first one, it was. Ha- I was very happy with yeah. the outcome. No, you're building a community. That's cool. Yeah. Next time you do it. I, yeah, I am planning. I'll try, I'll try to make it. For sure. Is I'm, it always going to be Saturday night? Not necessarily. good thing about Saturday is it gives people, for, a lot of people came in from out of town, New York and stuff, and that gives them a weekend. So, I don't know, but maybe Sunday will be a little bit easier. Um, I'll, you know, I, I want to make it like a seasonal, like every, like maybe quarterly thing. So. Okay. I want to cut. Yeah, I want to come. I want to be involved. With oh, for sure. And I'd love to have you on. Yeah. I'd, you love, know. I'd yeah. love to. Okay. Awesome. Um, uh, that is, that is, uh, that's a wrap. Um, I'm, you, you blasted so many cigars. 
like as a real fucking cigar daddy during this show. That, that's you know, I was very impressed with how much consumed. You totally did not put it out after two thoughts. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot drank of fun. Half, that. Drank half a fifth. You yeah. drank half a fifth. Smoked a blog faster out. We passed going. Yeah, we did coherent the whole time. It was great. It was. I was really. I'm really impressed. I barely kept up. This episode of Filthy Armenian Adventures was recorded at a private residence in the greater Los Angeles area. Opening written and voiced by your host, Alec Mohibian. Supported entirely by the rug merchants, cigar singers, and oligarchs of the night who subscribe to the show on Patreon. To join their enlightened society and get access to twice as many adventures, please go to patreon.com slash filthyarmenian and become a patron of this travel agency for the soul. Follow us on X and Instagram at Filthy Armenian. Follow our guest Richard Hanania at Richard Hanania. And buy his book, The Origins of Woke, wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening. Dream on and to be continued.